So we're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 3. So you can find that in the Bibles in the chairs on page 1167. So if you would turn to turn to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 17 as we continue understanding what it is to have loving fellowship. Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. Let us go to God in prayer. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you would reveal your truth to us. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would give us wisdom and understanding and discernment at this time. Help us to know your truth. For if we know the truth, the truth will set us free. In Christ's wonderful name, amen. 
we see where Colossians chapter 3 is instructing us on how we are to live if we have been made alive in Jesus Christ. It describes the new life that we're able to live because of God's grace and mercy, because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. This is a mighty work. We understand when Jesus goes to the cross, he goes for the purpose of making us right with God the Father. He's the mediator. He comes, and in his perfection, he goes to the cross to take the sin of those who will believe in him. He takes our sins upon his perfect self. He bears the wrath of God the Father that we deserve, but he takes that on his self so that we would receive forgiveness and we would receive his righteousness. This is literally where we go from death to life. And as you see in the Gospels where Jesus Christ, he goes to Lazarus' tomb, and you have the sisters there, Martha and Mary, and you have other friends and relatives in that. And Jesus says, roll the stone away. And they're aghast. They're like, he stinks. This corpse, this rotting corpse of our brother would, would smell horrible. The shame of that. And Jesus says, roll the stone away. Because he's going to do something amazing here. He's going to, from his voice, from his call, say, Lazarus, come out. And we have Lazarus who's at a decomposed state, come forth live and whole and made new. That's the image of salvation. That's what happens whenever someone comes to salvation. It's because God speaks their name and says, come alive, believe in my son, Jesus Christ, receive my forgiveness, receive my grace, trust in me. And it doesn't matter what state of sin or filth or decomposition. <laughs> I make up a word. We are in, it doesn't matter how far we are gone, when God says, come alive, we come alive. That's the power of God. Remember, this is the same God who created everything from Nothing. He's spoken into being. So we're seeing here in Colossians 3 these amazing statements of live this new life. We see amazing statements of what it is to put off the old self and walk in the new living self that God has given you in his son Jesus Christ. But the only reason we can do Colossians chapter 3 is because God and His power and His grace and His mercy makes us alive so that we can now walk and live in the newness of Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 3 is the fruit of salvation. It isn't that we try to live out Colossians chapter 3 so that we will be saved. Let me tell you, you're in trouble. If you're not a believer and you're trying to live Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 is the fruit of salvation. 
Only someone who has been made alive in Jesus Christ can live this way. So Colossians 3 is a word to those who are saved and an example of the new life we have in Jesus Christ. So as we look at Colossians chapter 3, I invite you on the back of your bulletins, there's an outline that you can follow along that has some of the main points and also some of the scripture references I'll be citing as I go through the text. So Colossians chapter 3, I kind of have this broken up into three points. The first point is died and raised with Christ. What it means that you have died to your old self, your old fallen self, your old flesh, that old man of sin, you have died to that and you've been raised to new life in Jesus Christ. That's one of the main ways that we're able to live this out, these commands and calls we find in these verses. Because we have died and been raised with Christ, we can first seek the things that are above. Seek the things that are of Christ. Have our hearts and minds and desires fixed on Jesus Christ that he becomes our passion, that he becomes our desire, that Jesus Christ and his love for us and what he has done on the cross and all his teachings in the word, that Jesus Christ becomes our everything, that he becomes what we hunger for, what we thirst for, what we desire more than anything else. That's what this means when it says seek the things that are above. Seek Jesus Christ. Seek the promises of God. Seek after him. Because the more you have your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, the more you have your eyes fixed on the glory of heaven, the more you can live out God's truth here on earth. It's a powerful statement. Because the Apostle Paul understands that through our life, we are constantly bombarded with distractions and obstacles and hindrances. And it seems as though every time we try to take one step toward Christ, we get tripped up and stumble in something of our old flesh or the world, and we find ourselves, rather than looking at Christ, with our face in the mud. But that's what's amazing about Colossians chapter 3. We understand the grace of God. That's when your face in the mud and your sin and brokenness and sorrow, God comes and he takes hold of you and he picks you up. And he sets your feet again step after step in line with his Holy Spirit. God's grace is what's fused through this entire passage. So we see this understanding of number one seek the things that are above where christ is and here's this beautiful truth the reason why we seek the things that are above where christ is is your life is no longer here on this earth i mean you're alive on this earth god hasn't taken you out but where your true life is where your true joy is your peace your hope where your desires are are no longer to be found on the things of this earth. They are all in Jesus Christ. That's why it says in verses 1, 
2 and 3. In 2, it says, set your minds on the things that are above, not the things that are on earth. Why? Because verse 3. For you have died in your life. This is your true life, your eternal life. The new life you're given in Jesus Christ through his death and resurrection and his ascension. There he is at the right hand of the Father. It says your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ appears, this is his second coming, then you also will appear with him in glory. When Christ returns in all his glory, the King of kings and Lord of lords, he comes and if you are in Jesus Christ, you get to partake in his glory. You get to stand beside the King. That's where your life is. We see where Colossians 3 is saying, don't don't be distracted. Don't settle for the things of earth. Those things are all perishing. No, keep your eyes fixed on the King of glory because that's where your glory will come from. We see this theme throughout the Scriptures. In Matthew 6, verses 19 through 34, we see where Jesus Christ is teaching the same message of where you are to fix your eyes and where you are to fix your heart. In Matthew 6, that section there, he talks about treasures. Where should you lay up your treasures? On earth? Not a good investment. You lay up your treasures on earth where moth and rust and thief can steal and compromise and destroy. Things on this earth will not last. Where do you fix your treasure? Your hope in heaven. There again is that theme with Jesus Christ. That's where you fix yourself. And then Jesus goes on to say this, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. You can't serve God and the desires of your fallen sinful flesh. You can't serve God and your desires for the things of sin. You only have one master. So choose your master. And after that teaching of the treasure and the master... Jesus makes this clear in verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, these things being everything that that you need, all your hopes and desires, these things will be added to you. If you fix your eyes on Christ. You fix your eyes on that cross that takes away your sin. You fix your eyes on that empty tomb that Jesus rose from the dead, bringing victory over death in the grave. And you fix your eyes at Jesus Christ at the right hand of the Father who intercedes on your behalf, who prays for you. And you fix your eyes at His return where you will experience your life in all its fullness and the glory of the return of Jesus Christ. Seek first those things, not the things of this earth. We see this again, this theme in 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 is the great passage of Scripture saying that if Jesus did not rise from the dead, this is hopeless. If Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, this whole Christianity thing is a delusion. 
It's all based on the resurrected living Jesus Christ. So he says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 47 through 50. He talks about we were all in the image of the man of dust. That is Adam. But if you are in Jesus Christ, you are now in the image of the man of heaven. That's Jesus Christ. And you can inherit the kingdom of God. In Ephesians 2, Paul also there again talks about that if you've been saved, then your life, then you yourself are seated with Jesus Christ at the right hand of God. And you long for his return and his glory. All these scriptures are to fix our eyes on the things of heaven, on the promises of God, because all day long we continue to be bombarded with the promises of the world, the promises of our fallen flesh. You want happiness? Well, do this sin. You want peace? Well, seek after this thing on the earth. But those are all lies because they all perish. And that's why, again, it's emphasized here in the Scripture. Do not seek. Do not set your mind on. Do not focus your life on the things of earth. So as we understand this being dead to our fallen self and raised with Christ, now we get these commands. We see this in verses 5 through 11. This whole section here. So this is my second point is put to death. So we understand what Jesus Christ did. We are saved by grace. We could not save ourselves. God in his grace saves us. He makes us alive through his spirit. And now he gives us these commands to put to death, to put off, to put on, and to live out. This is a sanctification process of becoming like Christ all through God's grace and strength and power. We are absolutely dependent on him. We see this in verses 5 through 6. Starting at verse 5, it says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then we see the list of the flesh immoralities, these desires of immorality and the passions of the flesh, and these evil desires that are all idolatry. Any of these sections or types of immorality fixed here the reason why they're idolatry is we are trying to seek our fulfillment. We're trying to get our pleasure in things that were created rather than the creator. So we're making an idol. Every time we lust after another person, we've made them an idol to fulfill our desires rather than having our desires met in God. We see this in every sin, whether it's greed, whether it's overcoming addiction, whether it's struggle, whether it's lust. These are all forms of idolatry. And here we see where the scriptures are saying, don't settle for the things of earth when you have God himself who can fulfill you more than anything. Don't settle for the things on earth. And that's why it's, it's a drastic statement put to death. The Apostle Paul understood how challenging sin is, even for a believer. That's why he doesn't, he doesn't use gentle language here when he's telling us to turn away from sin. The Apostle Paul doesn't say, 
And when it comes to your sinful desires, just give them a time out. He doesn't say, and when it comes to your lust and greed and idolatry and all these forms of immorality, he says, he doesn't say, well, just put those in a box and put them on a high shelf where they're hard to get to. No. He says this. He says, put to death. Wage war against those desires of the flesh that continue to trip us up and cause us to stumble and fall into sin. And that's why in verse 6 he says, this is the consequences of our sin. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. God is a holy God. God is a loving God. That's why he sends his son Jesus Christ to die on our behalf. And God is just. Sin must be accounted for. But that's why we're faced with two options. We're faced with either the option of receiving God's just wrath on ourselves or trusting in Jesus and saying, Jesus, I want you to take that on my behalf. Those are the two choices we're all confronted with. And the Apostle Paul is saying here, if you believe in Jesus Christ, put to death the flesh and just trust in Jesus Christ. Believe in him and have faith and know that if you believe in Christ, he has taken the wrath. He has made just punishment fulfilled in himself so that we can receive instead forgiveness and grace and love. Verse 7 is a powerful one. Verse 7 of Colossians 3 makes this very clear. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. The Apostle Paul makes clear that every single one of us, it doesn't matter if you were to write up your resume, say you're getting a job, and you were to write up your resume to get the job, you try to put all your great accomplishments. So you'll fill those out. And then some people have a pretty slim resume and some people have page upon page of these great accomplishments. But Colossians 3, 7 makes clear when it comes to deserving the wrath of God and eternal punishment, we all have very long resumes. We would get the job at that moment. But Jesus Christ comes and he takes that on himself so that when God looks at us, rather than seeing our sin, he sees a very short sentence. The righteousness of Christ. That's quite a change. That's what Colossians 3.7 is saying. And these, you too once walked we all deserve the wrath of God. We were all in disobedience. But verse 8, here's the grace. But now you must put them away. And this illustration of putting away the sin, again, this isn't just putting out in the garage. This isn't just trying to put on a high shelf. This isn't, no, this putting away is flinging from yourself something that horrifies you something that disgusts you, 
that you would take that and throw it from you as far as you can. That's, that's what he's saying for us to do with, with these areas of sin and temptation. And that's why we get the illustration of put away, put off, and put on. And that's what we see here in verses 8 through 11. In verse 8 it says, But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Stop lying. That's verse 9. Put off the old self of its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Remember, Jesus makes clear Whatever comes out of our mouth, what's the source of that? Jesus said it was from our hearts. The overflow of our hearts is what comes out of our mouth. So here we see, by God's grace, we need new hearts. And that's what's being offered in Jesus Christ. And with these new hearts, we're able to speak new words, overflowing with the power of the Holy Spirit. We see that in our sin, we have dead hearts and poisonous mouths. But through the power of Jesus Christ, by putting on Jesus Christ, by being one in Jesus Christ, we see verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. So we see that last section there, number three, where we are to put on the new self. And when we put on the new self, we have a new heart that overflows with a new mouth to give praise and forgiveness and love to those around us. In the midst of all these things, we see the emphasis on the new hearts. And that's where I focus in on verses 15 and 16. These new hearts are to be characterized by two main things. Number one, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That's what we see in 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. So that's that first characteristic, the peace of Christ. Remember, Jesus told his disciples, I do not leave you a peace that the world gives. I give you a peace that is from the Father, empowered through the Holy Spirit, displayed in Christ's cross and resurrection. The peace that God gives you is a peace that is sure and firm and enables there to be joy no matter what the circumstances. That's the peace God gives you. And it produces thankfulness. The other aspect of this new heart is verse 16. Not only is this new heart to be filled with the peace of Christ, it says in verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So we see the peace that Jesus Christ places in our hearts, and through that peace, 
of what Christ does in our hearts, we see our hearts overflow with the words of Christ, with singing and thanksgiving over one another. It's, it's a beautiful thing. I, I have seen, I have seen in my time of ministry, I've seen parents rocking their baby and singing songs over them. And I've seen parents in their 70s holding their 60-year-old son and singing songs over him. I saw that in Savunga. And I've seen parents of every age holding their children, whether they were infants or grown adults, and singing with tears the promises and love and hope of Jesus Christ over these children. Because their heart wants, their heart hopes, their heart longs for that child to know the freedom and joy and peace of Jesus Christ. So this is a powerful image where Paul talks about us so loving one another, so caring for one another, that we would speak God's words over one another, that we would sing the grace and love and kindness of God over one another. That our conversations would be so filled with the words of Christ that, that we are, these things are welling up out of our hearts and pouring over one another. That's the image that Paul gives us here. Again, verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks. That's the third time. That's the theme, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Ultimately, that's where the Apostle Paul sums it up. A life of giving thanks. Because if you are in the midst of temptation over sin, no matter what the immorality or impurity or passion, if that old flesh is welling up in you, that old sinful desires, what's one of the main ways to combat it and say no to it and put it to death? Is to do this. You find yourself tempted to sin, you say no. I am thankful that my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ died on the cross to free me from that sin. You speak that out. You believe that and you trust it. It's that thankfulness. The next time you're about to spread gossip about another someone or, or you, you, you don't have forgiveness in your heart, you're angry towards someone, you have bitterness in your mouth toward another person, and you stop and you say, no, no, I am thankful that Jesus Christ has given me this family in him. And that puts a quick stop to a mouth of harm. 
you see how thankfulness is the key. Because what does thankfulness do? It gets your mind back on who? God. Every time you express your thankfulness, it gets your minds back on Jesus Christ. It gets your minds back on the cross and off of your selfishness, off of our pride, off of our struggles and temptations. Thankfulness orients our minds and hearts and eyes on Jesus Christ. And that's why it's the summary of Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. So that's my hope and prayer for all of us this coming week. No matter what the sin, no matter what the struggle, no matter what the pain, no matter what is coming against us, no matter what desperation or anger or frustration is welling up into us, my prayer for each and every one of us is in that state we will stop and give praise. And give praise. And give thanks to Jesus Christ. Nothing stops sin quicker than thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Let us pray. Father, we we are so grateful. So grateful that you would make us alive that you would send your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you will help us, help us to live out Colossians chapter 3. Father, we can't do this in our own strength. We are powerless. But Father, depending on you completely and your Holy Spirit, we pray that you will help us to keep putting to death the things of our flesh, to keep our eyes fixed on you and not the things of this world. Free us from our sin, Lord, so that we may more fully live out the freedom we have in your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, in the midst of all things, help praise and thankfulness to come quickly to our minds and our mouths to remind us of you. In Christ's wonderful name, amen.